about Trying to figure out what it's all about Excellentialist Am I worth anything or just a scout? I don't know I don't know I don't know Spending time all alone Sending my songs through the phone Dreaming of a better home We more focused on trying to hone This craft Witchcraft I hope the Brujas Let this last That was great sounds of Blossom with Outside on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven Myself Prestige with my partner in crime, Long Island Raised, Elm City Made, EZ Blues is in the building. Easy Blues, you are better with introductions more than me. Who do we have with us today on Behind the Brand? Ladies and gentlemen, they continuously tell us it is the pursuit of happiness that is truly what makes us happy. And it is in that journey where we can truly understand who we are or who we need to be at that moment. This next person has evolved from educator to now educating your palate. And then also while spinning around and being an activist and a journalist, this is a journey that most people would wanna publish on a Netflix documentary. But we are blessed enough to have this person with us right now. So I want you to put your hands together. Not if you're driving, please keep your hands at 10 and two. We don't want any accidents, but mentally put your hands together for Tegan Angle. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. That was very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm extra. Uh, oh, also, speaking <laughs> okay. of extra, our, um, our intro song by Wauta, he's playing at Cafe 9 tonight. I just figured people would want to know. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Tegan, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really happy to be here with both of you. It's kind of nice to be on the other side of the mic for once. So. <laughs> In the hot seat. <laughs> are you cooking this Thursday or are you taking a back seat? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am. I host, you know, just kind of immediate family. I have to say that in many recent years, I have not celebrated Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving because, mm. you know, as a day that is based on like the myth of what mm -hmm. happened like it kind of masks the truth about genocide of indigenous people in this country yeah. and perpetuates a myth about like a lot of problematic things around the colonization right. of this country i you know for many years have not celebrated on the day because even though we don't we are very clear that when we've come together on thanksgiving that we're not actually talking about that myth we're just it's a day off it's a time to like come together in thanks there are times where i have um you know, my, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors and I thought to mm -hmm. myself, they, they were in a death camp, a Nazi death camp. They were part of a revolt and an escape. And so I thought, you know, if this was a holiday that was commemorating a fake story about the genocide of mm -hmm. Jewish people, would I feel okay about celebrating on this day, even if I was saying it wasn't about that? And I was like, I don't know if I would feel okay about that. So I've, I've like gone kind of full circle of like, not celebrating it but then also the reality is that like everybody has the day off work and kids are home from if they're away at school and stuff and so this year we are gathering again on this day and mm -hmm. I think I, I still feel like morally conflicted about doing something on that day except that like mm -hmm. I really want to be with my family especially after two years of COVID of not really being together right. so um yeah so long answer but I think it actually exemplifies a lot about me and food is that like food is not separate from identity and justice issues and so uh, mm. I will be hosting I will be doing a lot of cooking um so yeah that's the answer <laughs> and, that, and that's a great answer and it's crazy how we learn so much after school right <laughs> <laughs> like after the whole you know high school and college and just like your whole you know constructive learning we learned so much after just from people with different histories and different cultures and it boggles the mind of what else that we don't know it's crazy yep. <laughs> it really it's true is. you learn so much that like our you know our schools our schools are a system of education that came yeah. out of like industrial area era where it was like get people skilled up to be able to work in the workforce right and so like they mm -hmm. weren't about like how do we teach critical thinking how do we teach the histories of all peoples like that's not what our school system was based on right and so now people are right. trying to constantly patchwork it and fix it and try to make it actually help really educate us right but yeah we got to do a lot of our learning outside of the classroom for sure 
Mm-hmm. Now with food, is that a never learning? Is that an always learning process? You're always learning something new just yes. how long you've been in this career? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love to eat, right? So like right. I eat every day, lots of times. Thank God I'm, I'm blessed to be able to have enough money to get food and to cook food. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think my interest, my interest in food came because my parents love to cook. Um, right. and I think they, they got divorced when I was two and a half, but I think food mm. and cooking was like the one thing that they got along on. And also I think, you know, as I mentioned, my family coming out of the suffering of the Holocaust, I think there was also like an obsessiveness with food when they then came to this country and like had enough money to be able to have food, you know, have enough food to eat, having at one point in their lives, not, you know, been literally starving. So, um, there's definitely like a lot of focus on food in my family. And so I just, I remember like every book I read when I was a kid, I remember the food in it. There was like free to be you and me, like, you know, hippie book from when I was a kid, there was a story about a little girl eating a mango. And I was like, what's a mango? Like we didn't have mangoes in the store. This is like in the seventies. There were not mangoes everywhere. Like they are now, you know? Right. So um, stuff like that. I definitely like, fixated on food as a kid. And I think it was just also an entry point to get to know people and cultures. Mm-hmm. Like I would just wander New Haven and try food in different places. I grew up here. Um, and then when I left here for New York City, I was just like checking out different neighborhoods and food was the easiest way to start to learn about mm-hmm. different communities and then talk to the people cooking the food and making the food. And, you know, I just felt like it was like an exciting, uh, an exciting way to, to kind of travel and get to know people wherever I was. <laughs> That's awesome. What were yeah. some of your favorite foods as a kid? What brings back those great special memories that make oh, you smile? Yes. Well, also on the Jewish side, like yeah. Jewish deli food, where we don't really have delis anymore, but like over on Whaley Avenue, where you have AAA pizza, that used to yeah. be Chuck's Diner. That was like a Jewish deli over where the CBS is on Whaley <laughs> and Dayton Street, which yes. before that was like a liquor store, that was MT Deli. So like those places, I remember like deli food, like bagels and bialis. People don't even know what bialis are anymore. They're like a bread with a a dent in the middle that had onions in it. And then way Mm -hmm. back, it had poppy seeds also. So that was like, you get bagels and bialis. Now you don't even have the bialis almost anywhere anymore. So those things and like the big deli cases with smoked fish and lox, and they had these like fruit roll-up things that you know oh, as wow. a kid, I was like oh those look amazing and halva which is like a middle eastern mm-hmm. uh, sesame paste candy so those were like on the cultural front from my own heritage but I don't know I liked everything like I remember getting my first <laughs> steam bun which I think came from Miss Kim who now has Oriental Pantry over on Orange Street but she used to have, she opened the first Asian market in New Haven, which used to be up on Whitney mm-hmm. Avenue. And oh, wow. I remember having my my first steam bun with re- sweet red bean paste in it when I was maybe like, I don't know, 11 or 12 or something. And I, at that point, never heard of like sweet red bean paste. And we were eating these and I was trying to figure out like, what is this sweet, mm-hmm. dark paste inside? Because it never would have occurred to me that it was sweet beans because I hadn't been mm-hmm. exposed to that yet. So I have like a thousand memories like that, like eating my first sugar cane from like (laughs) the food co-op over on on, um, Whaley Avenue, which is now Minori's Meat Market and so many things like that. So I just loved food. I mean, I think I just loved just about everything. (laughs) (laughs) Easy. You getting hungry? Yeah, word. This is uh, is amazing. But what I also love is your story is so connected to the city of New Haven itself. You pointed Mm -hmm. out the spots where you grew up, you know, there is that love and, and that passion there. And I also love how you're able to use that to break bread with someone and learn about them as you move forward. And has that been like the theme? Is that, you know, kind of where you see what the next evolution entertainment wise with the podcast and different things are? Mm. I mean, I think the first entry into food was that I loved food and I started out mm. teaching, as you mentioned, but then um because I really am dedicated to social justice work and that was like the first way in that I found but then Mm -hmm. got into cooking because I just every time I walked by a restaurant I was like jealous of the people cooking inside so I was like okay maybe I need to follow that so for about a decade I worked as a chef in New York in Boston and then back Mm -hmm. in New York then in New Haven um 
But then when I, I got around to saying like, I really want to get back to doing social justice work, it was about how can I kind of merge food work and social justice work together. Right. And so this piece around food is so vital for life, right? It's literally like how we survive and it represents so much of our culture. And we live in a world that denies so many different people's culture or also mm-hmm. like based on geography, race, class, your access to food, right? Whether right. it's because you're living in systemic poverty or because you literally don't have transportation to get to food or whatever the things mm-hmm. are. So food, this piece around like working on, with food as a way to, to actually support life and justice in the world and this piece around breaking bread with people obviously is like, Mm-hmm. fundamental to that so it's like a way to right. connect people from different areas as well as a way to start conversations with people and just like get to know people if we're going to do right. community organizing if we're going to say what do you care about what what do you want to work on in your community first talking about food or breaking bread with people and eating food together is like the right. perfect entry point to that so yeah for sure that is like at the heart of a lot of the work and, and that's amazing because it also opens that opportunity there's something of a journey that I've been on where I'm trying to understand, you know, a person's point of original hurt, you know, because all of those fears and all of those insecurities, whether it be, you know, a familial trauma or, you know, trauma um, due to horrendous things that have happened, you know, when you can get to that point and you can meet them there, then you can help. That's where the healing can start. So I, I love that that's, you know, kind of where you're at so cool yeah (laughs) be happy yeah I don't think I answered your question about the podcast so the podcast was because I sort of got burnt out on being a community Mm -hmm. organizer and raising Mm -hmm. two children at the same time like I got into that work right before like basically when my first child was about three and then as my youngest was born and so I was you know at all the community meetings I'd be like meeting with people and nursing my daughter (laughs) like So I did that for about nine years. And by the end of it, I was like, I need to figure out how to take a break from that organizing work and being out all the time and, Mm -hmm. but still do this work in a meaningful way. And so when I left working with City Seed and the Food Policy Council, which was like amazing work, um, I sort of took a break and I said, you know, I really love talking with people and recording stories. Like I had had a food blog and I love just the part of organizing. I love is what you were saying, like being out and connecting Mm -hmm. with people. So I thought, let me start recording stories about this. Also the things that feel inspiring around like food and social justice work, Mm -hmm. um, because I think people can get so down, right? Like it's difficult. The issues in our country and in the world are difficult, whether it's like racism or violence or poverty or climate crisis or any of these things. And so I wanted to, I feel like somehow I became a perpetual optimist, even growing up in the city and seeing so many of the things I see. But I was like, let me share some of the things that inspire me with other people. So Mm -hmm. I actually got the opportunity through this very radio station where uh, Lucy Gelman, who runs a kitchen sink, wanted to go down Mm -hmm. to doing her show every other week. Um, and so I, I signed on for her alternate slots and that was the opening of learning how to podcast and learning how to be on the radio and started recording stories. So it's, it's sort of slowed down over the past year through the pandemic. And as some of my other work has come up, but, um, mm-hmm. thinking about re-entering it some more and doing more live shows. Cause I don't really have the time to do the editing, which is hard. So mm, I yes. think I should learn from you all, like yeah. just do the straight live show, no editing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my old show was, was mostly more edited. So I'm, I'm thinking of picking it back up again. Um, nice. but yeah, it was about four years of recording. There's about 70 shows up there and a whole range of different things. So yeah, people can go to the tableunderground.com and check out there's there's the podcast and on any podcasting site, but there's also photos and articles up there on the website. And it was great. It was great material that, that you had right there on the table underground. I mean, that's how I met chef Aaron Lee on there and we yep. got to have him a couple of times on a program. Um, what okay. were some of those favorite stories or some of those favorite moments that you had on the underground that you just shared with your audience that always spot out to you? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, I feel like each person, when I'm interviewing them, I just kind of fall in love with them. Cause that's like what, it's about for me, just like dig in with people. Aaron was super dope. Like he, he yeah. actually reached out to me. And oh, wow. so I did like a pre-phone call with him. And, you know, first it was just about like his catering work, but then mm-hmm. he 
told me that he had been a chef at Yale and I worked at Yale dining for a year and I was like, oh, okay. Like how far can we dig in on that? Like on Mm. both the the positive experiences of being there as well as like some of the challenges around like race dynamics within Yale. And, and he was like, yeah, I'm down, let's do it. So that was really special. And then getting to know him and then support him as like a food business entrepreneur in New Haven, because that's another piece of the work I do is mentoring food businesses. So that one was for sure, like very special and has kind of maintained like a friendship with him, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, goodness, I don't know, so many shows. I mean, some of the people who are, some people are very local and then some people are more national. So like Leah Penniman okay. of Soulfire Farm, who's like a beloved friend, getting to interview her a number of times about her book, Farming While Black and about work with Soulfire Farm, which I support as a board member, has been very, very special. Um, Bryant Terry, who uh, is an amazing um, chef activist from the West Coast, um, recently put out um, uh, a, a number, he's put out a number of really good cookbooks, including awesome. uh, Afro Vegan, some other ones. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know, so many people. I feel like every every show up there, I just, whether it's like local activists or whether it's uh, national people has just been really special. And has been really special as we heard your show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven with myself, Prestige, and my partner in crime, Long Island Rays, Elm City Made, EZ Blues is in the building. We got Tegan Angle with us on Behind the Brand. Tegan, is there a food that you have not eaten? Oh, yes. So, I mean, could you ever eat all the foods in the world? <laughs> But I will say, so I'm not very adventurous when it comes to like a lot of animal parts. So I I definitely air more to, I eat meat, but I don't eat a lot of meat and I'm not, I don't feel inspired to eat like blood sausage and head cheese and lots of different like, uh, you know, stomach linings and all tripe and all those kind of things. Just because I didn't really grow up eating like a lot of meat, but no disrespect at all. Like so many people love that and that's their cultural food or just the food they like to eat. And I totally respect that. It's just, those are not, um, those are not big for me uh, on things that I'm trying to, trying to devour. Um, (laughs) But maybe on the question of like foods that I would like to eat that I haven't eaten. Oh my goodness. I mean, you know what it is? I, there's there's such a difference between eating food from other countries or cultures, but eating them in this country versus in that country or in somebody's in a restaurant versus in someone's home. Because I think it's so different to the taste of something in a restaurant is just not the same or in another country. Like the ingredients are not the same. The way of making it isn't the same. So I feel like there's many foods I love that I would like to actually get to eat like in their native place so that I could like taste mm. them from on that land with the people who who you know that's their heritage so probably just about everything whether it would be like going to Thailand like experiencing that whether it wow. would be going to the Midwest and like eating like I've been really paying a lot of attention to like indigenous peoples and foods from this land and thinking mm. about like you know how do we how do we look at both like cultural heritage and justice as well as the climate crisis and think about like what food lives on this land around us so um you know I'd be I would love to like explore I've been doing that more like harvesting just berries in my neighborhood like mulberry trees and june berries and things like all Mm -hmm. summer we're we're just going around picking on the trees just on the streets of New Haven um things like sumac those kind of things so I would like to and you know, like going, we found like these huge maitake mushrooms in Edgewood Park, which are like, oh, wow. like 10 of the woods mushrooms that are crazy expensive and delicious. So yeah. things like that, like, I mean, anywhere from travel to Thailand or like South Africa to, <laughs> to just, you know, eating the foods that are right around us in the city. That's amazing. I mean, you just gave a whole variety and a whole platform of just different <laughs> foods. And it's crazy how you say that they're right here in New Haven. Now, yeah. you've doing this for so long in your career. Um, is it really great to see just so much diverse opportunity when it comes to the culinary version? Uh, when, it, when it comes to so much diverse of opportunity in the culinary business right here in New Haven, is that really fulfilling to see all that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, seeing the city as it was like in the 80s and 90s like I left in 91 to go to college and and Mm -hmm. I think like the city was 
really struggling then and not to say there aren't still a lot of people struggling because for real yeah. there are but like the city as a whole is not like as abandoned as it was then um and so um i think there are like there's so and there's also so many supports for for local food entrepreneurs which is really exciting so seeing like collab and city seed and concat and concorp and like all these different folks who are trying to support um emerging food businesses, especially black and brown owned businesses, is super exciting because I think that, you know, food is something that people love and they feel excited about their own cultural foods or just foods they're passionate about. And it's such a way for people to start a business to like make money and sustain themselves. And so I do feel very excited about the number of people who are starting food businesses, whether it's like a food truck a storefront, you've got like sanctuary kitchen supporting refugees, you've got tons of local folks like Alegria Cafe and um, Aaron, Aaron Lee doing heart, heartfelt food and cooking, you've got catering businesses, food trucks, storefronts. Um, so I just, those things feel super exciting to me that there's like more support for people who want to use food, both as a creative outlet and as their way to make a living. Um, so that feels very exciting. You mentioned City Seed earlier in this broadcast. To the average listener, what is City Seed and what do they do? Sure. City Seed is a nonprofit that started, I think, 2004. And mm. they started out um, opening farmers markets because at the time there really wasn't much of a way to, to actually buy Connecticut grown food in the city of New Haven, except for if the grocery, mm. one of the grocery stores sourced like a few products here or there. So they started um, with farmers markets and the farmers markets. Uh, started out accepting food stamps, which was something that a lot of other farmers markets in the state didn't. So that was like right from jump that they said, if we're going to have a market, we want it to be accessible to everyone in New Haven. Um, and they grew from one farmers market that started in Worcester Square to at one point, I think there was five or six different markets around the city. And then also did more things to try to support connecting uh, food from farms in the state food access basically from fresh local food into the city. And so there's like programs to double the value of food stamps and get um, fresh food to seniors. Wow. Um, and then in addition to that, they support food businesses. So when I was there, I was like supporting, helping people who were trying to support, start food businesses, cooking education, local food policy initiatives. Like they helped to get the New Haven Food Policy Council started. We helped to start up what is now the city office of food system policy that started wow. through the food policy council. So we like helped establish that we have a director, Latha Swami, who's the director of food system policy. So we helped uh, to get that office established, get funding for the first two years. And now the funding has been taken over by the city. Um, so things like that, they work on policy and they then, uh, we built a kitchen over at City Seed uh, when it was over on Grand Avenue. They just recently left that location, but that was where we did education and it helped business. Because a big thing for food businesses is that it's hard to get commercial kitchen space. So that was sort mm -hmm. of like a small space. That's where Sanctuary Kitchen started out. Some other food businesses use that kitchen and now they have a kitchen on Legion Ave um, and they have some other kitchen spaces. They're, they're also helping now to run the kitchen over at the Q House. So there's like cooking classes helping starting over there, as well as like incubating some food businesses over at the Q House. So City Seed sort of deals with food access and food justice, both as like a right food as a right, fresh local food, as well as um, economic development and food, and really focused on black and brown communities because that kind of economic development and food issue is also a racial justice issue. So that's, I think, more or less what City Seed does. <laughs> The long answer to you. You, you thought it was going to be nah, a question. It, it, it's, it's a powerful answer. I learned so much right then and there. You answered a couple of questions I have for us yeah. in the too. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, be, think you want to be a part of, about, the, about the city scene? Man, I can't even barely speak right now. It's crazy. So I'm, I, look, man, you, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of anything in those, those types of aspects. It's things we've, we've talked about on the show a million and a half times. You know, when you are especially dealing with, uh, you know, generational trauma and, you know, gener generational pro poverty as well, you know, and a lot of the big box grocery stores have fully exploited that, 
You know, if you go into, you know, a big box store, I don't put names out there, but if you go into a big box store around the first of the month, if you notice everything that's on sale is super sugary, you know, and because this helps to build complacency, you know, the more sugar that we have in our system, the heavier that we are, the more complacent we are to move forward and the more, you know, palpable we are. I, I also love how you talked about educational system coming from the industrial complex, you know, just making us smart enough to be compliant. Um, and, you know, that goes through and, you know, there is that initial K through 12, which is supposed to teach us how to learn. And then extending your education is supposed to teach us how to think, um, you know, critically and, you know, putting all those, those things. But we've gotten to this whole slump because it's been more about massive production on a corporate level. And the fact that you've taken that, that hustle and put it towards social justice is such a beautiful thing. And you found the avenue that truly does connect because there's so much that evolves with our eating habit. You know, one of those things, oh, you're genetically dis, uh, disposed to have high blood pressure, but if you actually unpack all of that aspect, it's because of the cooking from the traditional family where everything was, you know, we need to put as much flavoring here as possible and as much fat in there as possible because we're making the most with the least. Mm -hmm. um, I, so I absolutely applaud everything that you do. Mm -hmm. and. Hope you understand that how much it, it does really does impact because it blows me away sitting here and mm. thank you for everything. Yeah, no, I mean, I try. I think it's like, we're all trying to do what we can to, you know, mm -hmm. help the world be a better place and use the privilege and power and position we have to do that. So mm -hmm. I feel blessed to like, yeah, I feel blessed. Growing up here, I definitely came out of the city, seeing a lot of people I grew up with didn't get out of here, didn't, didn't didn't survive past high school barely or like didn't you know had dreams of getting out and didn't and that really affected me as like as like a white Jewish person as somebody who did benefit and you know my my grandparents my mom I'm the first generation born here on my mom's side and I was very aware that like as an immigrant to this country that that in one generation my family was able to like buy a house get a loan to start a business right you know, I was able to go to college. I was very aware that, that like race was a huge factor in why my black and brown and Latinx friends like didn't have that shared experience, even if they'd been here many generations and whether they chose right. to come here or were, you know, brought as enslaved peoples here. And so, um, that was like a reality that motivated me, um, to, be like, okay, what can I do with this opportunity that I've been given? And that was very real. Um, and I think that, you know, what you just mentioned, the, just to be clear with people who are listening, the right reason you're talking about the first of the month is that's when people's state benefits come in. And so that's mm -hmm. when, you know, some, some grocery stores are, are trying to profit off of that. And it's an interesting thing because, you know, very often, this is a really big problem in this country is that when we look at what are some of the serious issues that people face, let's say around health, for example, mm -hmm. The biggest, like gun violence is real, car accidents, real, homicide, real, right? But the number one thing that is a killer of people are heart disease, <laughs> hypertension, like diet related disease is the number one thing that mm -hmm. is killing people in our country, right? So this comes from, there's a few factors here, right? But the things that people are eating and also the conditions that people are living in that, mm -hmm encourage them to, or, or push them to buy and eat certain things for all different kinds of reasons. Now right. people do that because living in poverty is really stressful, right? When mm -hmm. you are stressed out, you don't have the like time and peace and mental capacity and physical, if you're working three jobs, that creates problems for you to be able to prepare home cooked food, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have a car and you live in a city where it's really difficult, it takes hours to get out, you know, places on the bus mm -hmm. that affects your ability to, to have certain kinds of food and food at a price that you can afford. Um, but the challenge is that in this country, we tend to put the burden on the individual for making health, better health choices. If you go to the doctor, they say, why don't you just eat this help this diet that we call healthy, right? Mm -hmm. So like eat brown rice, eat some steamed vegetables, don't eat so much meat, 
Um, they don't tell people things that are like culturally relevant things. First of all, like how do you eat your yeah. cultural diet, whether you're from China, whether you're from, mm -hmm. whether you're African-American, whether you're from Latin America, where, whether you're from the Middle East, you're surrounded by food choices in this country, right? And they don't, they don't give people, have people understand how do they eat within their own culture and eat healthy, mm -hmm. but they also put the burden on individuals that this is about your individual choice, right? And the problem right. is that the reason we have these diet-related diseases is not be all because of individual choice. It is because we have a global food system that mm -hmm. has given unrestricted growth to corporations to grow and process all of this food that's in boxes that's like super processed food really unhealthy food and mm -hmm. this is not what our food system once was right so we have like corporations and global entities and without policy restrictions without uh you know confines that keep it within like how do we how do we grow and sell food that actually nourishes people, that is not the goal. The goal has been for corporations to make money off of food. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge is that the food environment is based on, for the most part, what makes money, not mm -hmm. what nourishes life and what takes mm -hmm. care of the earth, right? So mm -hmm. we, have allowed, we have allowed these huge farms to grow food in a way that is about throwing pesticides and herbicides on the ground, tilling the earth all the time, doing all these things that, that is actually creating a lot of pollution, a lot of carbon, a lot of harm for the workers, totally exploiting mm -hmm. workers. We have basically enslaved people here on, on mm -hmm. H1N1 visas because like they're, they're you know, migrant workers. And so we're exploiting people, we're exploiting the earth and there's no confines on what can be grown, what can be sold as food. And that's mm -hmm. the environment that people are making food choices in. And then right. many people are because of because of like unrestrained capitalism and because of race systemic racism, people then are living in poverty and not having enough money and living in very stressful environments, right? And so all mm -hmm. of those things are the environment in which people are making food choices on in and the stress of living in that environment. So the solutions to how do we like end this harm of all these, uh, you know, diet related diseases is not just about individual choice. It's about actually putting some confines on what is okay in terms of what we put in the grocery store and call food. Mm -hmm. What is okay right. in terms of what we allow to happen to this earth in terms of how people are growing food. What is okay in terms of working conditions for people who are growing the food, processing the food, um, selling the food, et cetera. And so the problem is that we put all the burden on the individual to make better choices, but we're not actually putting the burden on the systems of power right. to change what are we allowing to happen in terms mm -hmm. of our food production and, and our food environment. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's a huge lie that's been, you know, wrapped up in disguise and convenience, you know, and again, I'm not going to put any name out there, but there's a, a certain place that makes sandwiches. And their food is actually not qualified or classified as food, not even the bread they supposedly bake. Um, it has no nutritional value. Um, but this was a place where we thought that was eating healthy. There was a huge campaign about how it could be something that is healthy. And then you realize that it's not necessarily food um, or it's not necessarily what you thought you were eating, um, which is terrifying. Um, and this happens on an everyday basis. You know, I don't know what's in, I'll say sugar smacks, but sugar smacks is delicious, but I'm not going to eat sugar smacks every single day for the rest of my life. I'd like to, but I'll be 797 pounds and a miserable human well, being. Well, that's the challenge is like the stuff tastes good, yeah. right? Like things that are sweet and salty and oily, like tastes good. And it's really hard. I had I don't want to front like I eat all healthy things all the time. Like I have a yeah, sweet no. tooth. I like chips. I like all. So it's not even <laughs> to say that like all those things are bad and we can't be eating those things. Like, you know, I mean, the reality of living in this world for me is that I try to have balance in what I'm eating and I try not mm -hmm. to make things forbidden because I feel like the human psychology is that when things are forbidden, we want them more. Right. So like the exactly. reality is like I'm trying to work on changing the system so that we have some systemic change. And then I'm trying to figure out how do I live in the reality of all this food mm -hmm. around me in a way that also like 
is responsible and cares for my health and and things but but also within reason so like yeah sometimes I eat some junk food (laughs) but I try to mostly be eating like you know things that are more in their natural state but it's hard but I have the privilege of like having enough money and I have a car Mm -hmm. um I have enough money to like buy fruits and vegetables and things and um that's not always easy for people to do yeah and and honestly what you say moderation moderation Moderation. (laughs) right and also, you know, I love how you say you don't want to throw anything into like a forbidden food type of aspect, because you see that happen with a lot of people who try to do the lifestyle change of, you know, caring more about their diet. And they're right. just like, okay, I'm not going to do any of this. And then, you know, you had to pick up your prescription at, at Walgreens, the line's out the door, it's been a super stressful day. And then there's that Snickers bar, that's just staring at you and mocking you for the entire length of the line. So of course you get up there and out of protest and defiance, you're gonna have that Snickers bar. It's gonna be the best Snickers bar you've ever had in your entire life because you didn't give that opportunity to give yourself a reward at some point to say, hey, I've been doing really good. Today is my reward day. I don't call it a cheat day because then still kind of feels dirty. I call it a reward day. And, you know and what's crazy how... though like I so it's interesting because as healthy as I am like I actually have mm-hmm. high cholesterol like I'm not overweight I'm not I really? eat really healthy I have high cholesterol and I'm like I'm getting close to 50 now and it's in my family mm-hmm. and so I was like okay I used to think of things like that like oh this is a reward like I'm gonna have chocolate I'm gonna have whatever mm-hmm. and I feel like it's shifting a little as I have like some real health things in front of me where I yeah. actually am like we, I don't want the thing that is a reward to actually be a thing that's hurting me. And it's not to say that I don't eat chocolate. I just try to like have it be a little bit less and then find other rewards that feel special. So Mm -hmm. like, I love raspberries, for example, right? I might go and buy some junk food thing that costs like $4 and not think twice about it. But then if I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to buy raspberries that cost $4. It's this little thing. It's expensive. It's like, I'm trying to shift my thinking. So it's like, Oh, okay. I'm actually going to splurge on the thing that's still good for me, but still feels special. Right. Um, and just shift that a little bit because like, I also don't want to die. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like trying to, but it's, but I, I feel, I totally feel you on that, but it's such an interesting thing. I also noticed, like, I feel like my, my treat was always like a sugar thing. I was like, Oh, but it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be sweet. Like what if my treat is like some chips and then I'm at least not having sugar and you know, whatever. So I don't know, it's a tricky thing. And we're back to like the individual choice. that's that's the beauty of of the conversation and how in-depth it really is yes there needs to be all of these these changes but there also needs to be that personal accountability um you know and and i love that you're there to meet it at every single aspect Mm. like that again i'm just i'm just gonna i'm gonna applaud you there um because it's it's tough like it's tough you but know, it's not tough to say of- this. WNHH LP 103.5 FM New Haven, myself, Prestige, and my partner in crime, Long Island Rays, Elm City Made, EZ Blues is in the building. Taking angles with us on Behind the Brand. Easy. Go right ahead. I'm sorry, sir. Well, it, it's tough also when, you know, some people um, are very hard thinking and hard lined about how things are supposed to be and how they're supposed to, to take through. So when you bring in this you know, very heavily researched, um, you know, and proven facts to the table saying that diet is so important to this, nutritional value is so important to this, and, you know, treating the land correctly is so important to this, there's still going to be those deniers that are out there. How do you deal with that by still maintaining this incredible optimistic uh, stance that you have? I mean, for the most part, I try to focus on like supporting the things that need support and that are good in the world and not spend a lot mm-hmm. of time like arguing with people who are deniers because there's enough people who are trying to do good who just need support. And so that tends to be where I put my energy. Um, I will say in, you know, if you look at just in terms of sort of an undeniable fact, that's easy. You don't have to remember any numbers. It's like when people come to this country or when their countries are colonized and they shift from eating what their traditional diet is, wherever in the world they are, when they shift from eating their traditional diet and they shift into eating processed food from like industrial food, you Mm -hmm. know, predominantly industrial food environment, whether it's this country or another country, they instantly develop the same 
health conditions of being overweight and having heart disease mm-hmm. all over the planet. So the reality is there isn't one diet that's right for everybody, right? You can go to any part of the world and look up what are people's traditional diets and they have balance within those diets. And it Mm -hmm. has to do with the climate they live in, what food is available, culturally what the food is. And so encourage, you know, that piece around that just shows you that this kind of processed food environment is just not healthy, period. And then the reality Mm -hmm. of like, how do we support ways for people to reconnect with some of those traditional ways of eating and growing food and processing food is, you know, and how do we do that in a way that respects people, you know, different people's environments and cultures and needs. And so I think that's where, where I tend to go with that. And um, sometimes that might, you know, I try to remind myself also like as a, as a white Jewish person, I don't want to just be like appropriating foods of other cultures. Right. So it's important that I also have gone back to look at what are the foods of my people? So like pickles Mm -hmm. and sauerkraut, And those are fermented foods, right? So fermented Mm -hmm. foods have all these probiotics in them. They're a way of preserving food without using electricity, right? You don't need refrigeration for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And cultures all over the world have that. You have kimchi, you have, um, you know, palm wines, you have like all these different foods from different cultures that are based on different kinds of food preservation that also really helps our diet. Because if you're eating foods that are fermented, you get the probiotics. It's good for your, your, you know, they call gut, gut health. So like the, mm-hmm. the good bacteria and things that are inside our bodies that really help our immune systems and help us be well. So, um, I, I do, I do look towards those things. And then I also look towards the solutions that are happening. Like we were talking about at a systemic level. So mm-hmm. people think about, Oh, there's this story out there that like, we don't, the, the world's, we just hit like how, how many billion people on the, earth or something like we just hit like a milestone of 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 the world population and there's a story Mm -hmm. that we don't have enough food to feed the earth that is not actually true there is enough food to feed all the people on the earth it is an issue of needing to redistribute resources and food and power across Mm -hmm. this planet so that Mm -hmm. that food if you think of the abundance and how much food goes into our trash here And how much food Mm -hmm. doesn't even make it into the grocery store because it doesn't look perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is an issue of redistributing resources and food and power, not an issue that we don't have enough food. But what people, that story then pushes people to say, we need these tech solutions. We need genetically modified seeds. We need all these things. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, we know that when the solutions are about big business and tech, that who's controlling that and who profits from that does not get down to the grassroots of the people who are struggling mm-hmm. in poverty, be they black, brown, mm-hmm. or white mm-hmm. or indigenous to any land that money and power for those, those solutions tends to stay up with the same people that have that money and power right now. And so it tends to then move away from saying, what if we were to, instead of scaling up, that's like the narrative, right? Like let's mm-hmm. take an idea that's environmentally, you know, beneficial and is going to produce a lot of food. So we're going to like grow lots of food in a tight environment. We're going to use a little bit better growing practice. I'm going to scale that up right to like these Mm -hmm. huge farms that do that. Mm -hmm. That's to me is problematic because that Mm -hmm. food doesn't usually get to all the people who need it. And the people who profit off of that production doesn't also get to the people who right now are Mm -hmm. living in poverty. So what if instead of thinking about scaling up, we think about scaling out because mm-hmm. if we if we said, okay, what if we had human scale farms? This isn't about like go back to the medieval times, right? But this is about in our modern context, what if we supported more small farms in using good mm-hmm. practices? And instead of putting the way our like food policy puts a lot of money into like crop insurance and because our food policy actually is part of what got us to where we are today. It incentivizes the crop growing that we have that gets into all this processed food. If we shifted our food policies to make incentives for growing smaller scale fruits and vegetables to feed at like a community level, what happens if you have a whole bunch of small farms? Sorry about that. What happens if we have a whole bunch of small farms that are, or mid-sized farms that are growing for the communities around them, you then rebuild communities because you need the the mechanics. You need the people who can help with the animals. You need the people mm-hmm. who can truck the food to the market. You And you start to rebuild that 
local and regional community, which also is not just about the farms and the food, but also about all the infrastructure and all of the economies and all of the community that exists around that versus what happened with the global food system, which is that it gets consolidated in a few areas and then other so many areas are just totally impoverished and it becomes about food aid as the solution. And so I think we need to really think about how do we focus on re building systems that are about redistributing resources and power to do this, not just about kind of maintaining this consolidation mindset that we have right now. Now, just uh, how can the average human start to take the, those steps uh, for their own accountability? Because I'm, I'm a big fan of personal accountability. So how can I do, do certain change-ups because yes, we need to change it on the grand scale, yep. but honestly, you know, it does start with a totally. single step forward. So how does the average person or average listener, person in the car right now, who's loving all this knowledge, how do they change tomorrow? Yes. So I think that this is so good. And I, I totally focus on action and the things I'm doing. So I very much appreciate this, this question. I think the thing is to do is to ask yourself, what brings you joy? what feels possible for you to do and do that. So if it's about cooking and you have time and you have a little bit of resources to support cooking, it could be about purchasing choices. It could be about what are you, what foods are you cooking, right? So you maybe purchase a little more local or even if you're not purchasing local that you're like cooking food that is more home cooked food. And you know, there's lots of resources on the internet for that. Um, if it's about wanting to grow food, people can get involved in community gardens. So I don't know if y'all have had on Daishan Harris, um, who runs the, the garden over by the Armory Garden and a bunch of other gardens around the city. He goes by Native Praxis or Root Life. Super amazing, dope person, grew up in New Haven. Uh, you know, amazing food justice advocate. He helps run that garden. We have a lot of community gardens in New Haven. Jamila Rashid who runs um, Field of Greens over in the Hill. Um, there's Gather New Haven is the organization that runs the community gardens, but people can get involved in a community garden. They can um, grow food in their backyards. Um, those are some like very local ways. If you, people wanna get involved in the food policy aspect, we have our local office of food policy. So the New Haven City Dep Division on Food Systems Policy. Um, they're doing urban agriculture work. They're doing work around food purchasing. So you could check out, follow, check them out online and see what they're involved in. And then beyond the city of New Haven, and you know, check out what City Seed is doing. So, so supporting that, there's the food business, um, the food business accelerator program that Collab and City Seed run. So there's people could donate to the work that Collab and City Seed are doing to support small food businesses. Um, those are some local ways. Beyond New Haven, um, oh, sorry, another local thing is Witnesses to Hunger, which is a really mm -hmm. dope group. Kim Hart and Susan Harris are two of the people who help run that. That group is people who have experienced and struggled with hunger, but are um, organizing both locally and statewide and nationally around food issues for people who are struggling with hunger. So you could support their work. And then beyond New Haven and Connecticut, you could look at groups like uh, on, on the policy front, like Heal Food Alliance is a coalition of a whole bunch of primarily black, brown and indigenous groups that are working on food policy issues, on political activism and training on a number of issues. They have a great website. You can check out their work and either donate to them or see if there are campaigns that they're running that you might want to get involved in supporting. They're on a lot of different issues. Um, and they also work with the Black Food Justice Alliance. Um, there's groups like the Black Farmer Fund and Potlicker Capital that work on supporting Black farmers. There's group like uh, Indigenous Seed Sovereignty and Seed Savers that are working on Indigenous rights. The Northeast Farmers of Color Land Trust that is run by an Indigenous woman and is a, a coalition of uh, Black, Brown, and people of color and indigenous farmers that are working on land justice issues and land back efforts. So it really could take, it's sort of like if you want to be on your computer and getting people to, you know, rally behind policies, or you want to be out in the street, or you want to be supporting gardening, cooking, um, 
you know, or local food pantries or anything, you kind of can get an entry point into any of those things that bring you joy. But I think the thing is to do is figure out what excites you, what can you take action on and then do it <laughs> and make it manageable. If you have an hour a week, do that. If you have five right. hours a week, do that. So those are, those are some ideas. Unfortunately, awesome. we're coming to a close uh, within the broadcast, but we learned so much from you and it was really great to have you here, but we always give these last couple minutes to our guests here on the program. Um, just first, any advice for someone who wants to go into your path? And lastly, any social media to, you know, that contact you and anything you got coming up planned in the foreseeable future, go right ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I just said how I think people can get involved in terms of my path. I had the blessing to have a mom who said, you know, follow your passion and things will work out and, and somehow they have. So I think like, I encourage people to same thing I said about activism work is like, what brings you joy, what needs doing, and then how, how do you do it and still make a living? Right. So I, mm -hmm. I encourage people to, to do that as much as they possibly can. Um, and reach out to folks for help. <laughs> that, that's, that's the way to do that. Um, in terms of social media, people can check out the Table Underground podcast on any podcasting site. And I encourage people to go to the website, thetableunderground.com, because then you can see photos and articles and, and put some images to the words that you're hearing. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. And you can also uh, follow my Tegan Angle account if you like. Um, and in terms of what I got coming up, I've been doing a lot of consulting work on these issues. I am a resident fellow over at the Yale Center for Business and the Environment. So I'm working on supporting folks in that ecosystem, as well as getting more support for New Haven folks in that partnership between Yale and New Haven. Um, yeah, encourage folks to reach out. And I thank you for the blessed this moment to actually get to share some of my story and talk. It was really beautiful. Thank you uh, both. You're very welcome. And we Definitely appreciate you, appreciate you, if I could barely speak, having you on here on Behind the Brand. Thank you, Tegan, once again. Myself, Prestige, and Long Island Rays, Elm City Made, EZ Blues. This has been Behind the Brand. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>